Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the podcast that you are listening to. It's the flagship podcast of a lot of things. An ever-expanding Venn diagram of media companies and ideas, but we're the flagship of those things. And of all the podcasts you're listening to right now, this is clearly the flagship. <laughs> this is the best podcast you're <laughs> listening to right now. Anyway, I'm Neil I. How's it going, everybody? Dieter's here. I'm here. I was. Uh, my parents always told me that I was their favorite middle child. <laughs> I was their only middle child. Oh, man. That is the most Minnesota trauma thing you have ever said on the show. <laughs> oh, man. Pa- Paul. Hey, Paul. Hello. How's it going, man? I'm also a middle child. I'm not- Although, not sure if I'm my parents' favorite middle child. <laughs> <laughs> I was a baby. I was obviously the favorite. It was great. <laughs> my sister's been mad at me for 30 years. <laughs> Real quiet week this week, I gotta say. Yeah. Like a really, really quiet week. That's CE post CES lull. Mm-hmm. Just living. Are flamethrowers quiet? Do you wanna start with the flamethrower? Um, let's let's just jump right into, into the flamethrower. Or as I like to call it, modified airsoft gun. <laughs> so our man Elon Musk, uh-huh. who our managing oh our managing editor TC Sodic says is the biggest celebrity in the world of the Verge. Which I think is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon, he's not content with landing the rockets or launching bigger rockets. He's not content with making electric cars or a new smaller electric car. He has. He's not even content with landing rockets literally in the ocean water. He's not content with literally launching his car on his rocket, which is mm-hmm. what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the ambition. Has a third. Well, he has like fifteen other companies, but he's got a third company, which started as a Twitter joke. Started as a Twitter joke, called the Boring Company. Is near as we can tell. So it started as a joke, as in boring holes boring through holes the ground to for build tunnels. a tunnel from LA to San Francisco or something. So you could put little fast little car conveyor belts underground, basically. It's just like very what obvious. What if you don't have a Tesla? Are you allowed to ride in the in the tunnel? Can you just like get on one of the conveyor belts and just hang on? Well, it's just really clear that a, a central thing, like a central problem in Elon's life, is getting from LA to San Francisco. Like the yeah. hyperloop, <laughs> the whole hyperloop started because he's like, "How do I get from LA yeah, to San yeah, Francisco yeah. faster?" Okay, okay. In that context, SpaceX wait, is wait. like, "I got to get from LA to San Francisco." So in that context, Elon Musk was like. What if there's an apocalypse yeah. and there's all these zombies in between me and L.A. and San Francisco? How do I yeah. solve the zombie wait, wait, problem? Wait, wait. So the Boring Company is so his company he, to dig a tunnel yeah, yeah, from yeah. L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he bought, he bought a boring machine. Right. He's digging holes in the Tesla parking right. lot. But he wants yep. to like raise money and hype. So first he sold hats. Right. Hats. High, highly hats, like 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 ball caps. Uh, I Trucker hats, actually. Uh I highly recommend. This is one of the silliest videos on YouTube. Sam Sheffer got a, a boring company hat and like unboxed it. It's like a very serious video. And at the end, he's like, I'm wearing a hat. It is one of the silliest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Sold a bunch of hats, right. made some money. Then he's like, after we're done with hats, we're doing flamethrowers, which everyone thought was a joke. Uh-huh. Turns out flamethrower, not a joke. He's, he sold $10 million worth of flamethrowers for $500 a pop. And then he gave everybody a free fire extinguisher. So the, 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 it's true. It's fact. I missed that part. <laughs> so this is like the, one of the greatest. And he's like, he's posting Instagram videos of him running around with a flamethrower. I mean, it's, yeah. we were trying to figure out like what to write. Like it, I, Liz Lapato, our science editor, was like, I've written all of 43 words. And I was like, I don't think you need to write more. It's a video of Elon Musk running around with a flamethrower. It is the thing that it is. I think why people uh, that, why Elon Musk is The Verge's biggest celebrity is because people who read The Verge, people, most of the people I would say that write The Verge, would think in their heads, if I was as rich as Elon Musk, I would do the same weird shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like he's accomplishing amazing yeah, things, right? Absolutely. The, SpaceX is like an amazing he's thing. Accomplishing everything but shipping my, uh, Model 3s. Yeah, that's, he's getting there. Um, Sorry, that's but a he's cheap like, shot. He, but he started a car company. But it's true; he should ship more Model Threes. <laughs> I think everyone knows it. It took me a while. I forgot about the cars. Right, the main <laughs> thing. I forgot about the car thing. Literally, the main thing, <laughs> the number one thing. Yeah, he's working on that. The number one thing is going to Mars. Yeah, we yeah. need to be a two-planet species. Now. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyhow, so, bow, a flamethrower. Here's How what does I'll tell Mars you. weigh into the LA to, to San Francisco thing, though? No, I think that's just like literally there's like big problems and little problems. And if you're Elon, little problems are on the scale think of about it. redefining the trip if from LA few, to San Francisco. If, you, if a few million people from the West Coast would just move to Mars, the traffic between LA and San Francisco <laughs> wouldn't be so bad. No, it's like, you know, like you're like a, you're a person, you're probably in your car listening to this right now. Like every now and again, you're like, man, I wish my commute was better. Yep. And you might think about moving or, you know, getting a different job or telecommuting. Elon's like, I'm going to dig a hole, a tunnel from these two cities for my car. And that's a, yeah. that's a choice he can make. That's Here, great. Here's what he needs to do. Send robots to Mars that build a sign. <laughs> and the sign says, if you lived on Mars, you'd be home by now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the flamethrower threw our staff into what I would describe as a completely productivity-free tizzy. Uh, mm-hmm. Liz Lopato, our science editor, literally just said the word flamethrower in all caps for the better part of a day, both in both yep. privately in our Slack and publicly on her Twitter. Super into yep. it. The uh, the best joke is uh, Liz asked the staff, uh, "What what should I burn first? And Casey Newton piped up in the our all hands meeting and said, "The patriarchy." Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. The haters was also listed. Um, yep. Yep. Then we fell down the hole of trying to build our own flamethrower. Which, by the way, Ars Technica did the work of finding the airsoft gun that this thing is basically modeled after. They look almost identical. It's the uh, CSI XR5 Advanced Main Battle Rifle. No, so that's Elon's. Um, no, wait, wait, hold on. So Elon's is, okay. an air, is a modified airsoft gun. So when right. you, as a regular person, you're like, I would like a flamethrower. You Google how to build a flamethrower. You land on what I think is the crowning achievement of human civilization, which is flamethrowerplans.com, flamethrower. <laughs> which is a whole website. And the top of the website says everything you need to make your own flamethrower for only four hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. That's the There's number. F- that's the number one DuckDuckGo result too. Yeah. So you know it's not, got, they're on it. It's not Google's like liberal <laughs> machination. Also, also they. Um, <laughs> So it's that every every everything you, you buy in uh, flamethrowerplans.com, you uh, you end up donating to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Oh yeah, oh, that's great. It's, literally, this is what we our whole civilization has been building towards this. So this yeah. flamethrower that you build is basically a modified pressure sprayer, right? So if you're going to like pressure yeah. wash your car, but instead of filling it with water and soap, you went with gasoline. Mm-hmm. That's what you. Well, it's like a pro, it's a propane torch. It has a propane tank on the top. Uh, it's kerosene. I've I've oh, fallen okay. deep down the hole okay. of building your own flamethrower. Okay, okay, okay. Elon's flame, and that and this is like a classic when you think oh, of flamethrower. Oh, that's your flamethrower, not Elon's flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. the build your own flamethrower. Like the traditional one is like what you think about. It shoots a stream of gasoline that's on fire. It shoots really far. Elon's is more of like a blowtorch. Like a, it's as Dieter was saying, modified airsoft gun that appears to be more of a like a blowtorch situation. And then now you have to have a really intense conversation of what a flamethrower really is. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I say they're all flamethrowers. I'm expanding. Mean, if you just pick up a burning log and chuck it, that's technically a flamethrower. You are the flamethrower. <laughs> but when you say Elon's... Would you say that you're the fire starter? <laughs> no. I think of myself look more of a flame pusher than a flamethrower. <laughs> Wait, are you saying Elon's flamethrower, as, as in his actual one, is different than the one that the boring company sold to consumers? No, well, no, no. he made one himself, and now they're they're taking it and finishing the job to sell to consumers. He is, you might say, a flame hawker. Hmm. Anyway, all of this is genius. It got a lot of journalists and people and Elon fans talking about flamethrowers for a week, uh-huh. which I consider a victory. And he, That's true. You he made a bunch of money. Say it set many people ablaze with excitement. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. The question is, he's got to finish the car. He's got to launch the rocket. Uh huh. I just want to meet the class of people under Elon who do the work. Yeah. I don't think they get enough credit. Do you think a good CEO is the sort of person that sets a path and then gets out of the way, doesn't micromanage? I mean, I when I think about myself. It seems like he doesn't have time to micromanage. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he has time to micromanage. Because yeah. that means there are people who are doing the work. Right. I, I think we should give them more credit. I, I think a great CEO is a guy who shows up at work one day and he's like, you know what? Yeah. This company that I just started to dig a hole from... 
LA San Francisco. We're doing flamethrowers today. And everyone has a good time. He probably bought pizza. Who who is the man <laughs> inside of Elon Musk's suit that a, Elon Musk, the small child, is sitting on the shoulders of <laughs> and po- poking his head out? No, I'm just saying SpaceX is really, really successful. Mm. There are some people at SpaceX that are have more public facing profiles. Yeah. Uh, Gwen Shotwell, like president CEO type. She's obviously running SpaceX. She's doing a great job. Tesla is like a little bit more mysterious, right? You don't see a lot of Tesla executives out in the world. Elon's great. He's very ambitious. He's obviously driving a lot of these decisions. But to run that many companies requires like a kind of big stable. Who gets it done? Of operators, right? And like yeah. I'm curious who those operators are. But I'm also in love with flamethrowers. And, we, and I will tell you this right now. We bought one. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have one. And we're going to fire that flamethrower. What are you going to burn? Other than the, the patriarchy. patriarchy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Whoa. I did not agree. <laughs> I'm kidding. This is the first thing. Wired. Wired's paywall. We're going to burn to the ground. That's fine. I'm trying to do some media. Yeah, some more Ezra. beefs. <laughs> some more beefs. beefs I can get up. <laughs> You're really getting really close to, like, making actual threats here. You should probably <laughs> slow down. Hmm. Well, there's nothing happened this week. We got we to gotta start some conflict on the first cast. <laughs> So, honestly, that was the biggest news of the week. Like, I'm going to be yeah. 100% honest with you. The, nah, the no, biggest... Other, yeah. other what you got? Happened. What you got? A Galaxy S9 leak. It looks like a Galaxy S8, but the fingerprint sensor isn't in a stupid place. I thought the fingerprint sensor was going to be on a new screen. I hoped it would be. I kind of thought it would be. I'm disappointed that it's not. I suspect that Samsung ran into the same problem that Apple runs into now, because Samsung sells at that scale. They could probably make a hundred thousand of them mm-hmm. uh, with the fingerprint sensor under the screen, but could they make you know ten million of them? And I bet the answer to that is no. And so they have to wait another year until production can ramp up on that part. And I saw a really uh, crazy stat about Samsung. We often talk about how Apple has a billion iOS devices in the world. Samsung's closing in on two billion Android devices. Oh. Like, no one's ever hit that number. That's bonkers. But like, wait, yeah, two hundred total sold. Two two billion. Sorry, 200. 200. Yeah, Samsung has sold 200 Android devices. <laughs> okay. The Galaxy Note many, 4 was a sales success. Are, how many of those are living phones? Yeah, I think that's the big difference, right? I think with iOS yeah. devices, you have this expectation that iPad 2s are like still out there doing mm. stuff. The Galaxy A9 Tab 5, right? probably not doing so great. So I think there's, right. a, there's a difference in kind. But in terms of just numbers, if that's what you're comparing numbers, yeah. Um, they've shipped a hell of a lot of devices. They haven't done it yet. I think they're closing in on it. You know, I always wondered. Samsung wait. also the uh, the world's biggest chip maker. Once you, if you include uh, memory chips, yeah, they passed Intel. Oh, that's right. They're they're a big company. Yeah, I always wondered what. Remember when you you'd like you'd have an old computer and then like okay, I bought a new computer. What do I do with the old computer? Oh, well, it could be your like MP3 server for your home. Like when when will we be able to take our old phone and like sl- like slot it into like a, like some sort of server type thing and then it becomes like, I mean like most any phone that you bought in the past like five years is probably more powerful than your like Wi-Fi router as right. far as processing power. Like I don't know. I just, I, I just I think uh, I, the thing to do is like you you buy a you buy an IR blaster attachment and okay. make it your uh, TV remote control. Ooh, that's so smart. Samsung also uh, posted huge revenue numbers. They're doing great. It's a great quarter. Mm. And they're saying their next wave of growth, foldable displays. We've already seen some, like, prototype renders, I guess you would call them, Dieter. Yeah, and they made, like, this this insane promo video a couple years ago of, like, woman at the coffee shop. There's a, a jerk with a Bluetooth headset on one side, and there's the cool guy with the foldable phone on the other side. Mm-hmm. Just like like old misogynistic Samsung stuff. Uh, so that exists in the world. So you have a sense of what maybe they're thinking. The other thing they're going to chalk up their growth to. So foldable display. If Samsung makes a foldable phone, yeah, I think that'll probably drive some sales. It's pretty cool. It's going to be yeah. pretty bulky. The other thing that they said that would drive sales in the future, Bixby. Bixby. Bixby going to drive sales for them. What are you doing? <laughs> this little dog in shoes. Everyone drive loves a goddamn tiny thing. little dogs <laughs> wearing shoes. Bixby. Right? Like, they, really yeah. think, they really think Bixby is going to power some growth. Someone. I think Bixby is going to be adjacent to growth. I think they're going to put Bixby on as many things as possible. And they will say Bixby drove the growth. 
it won't be true. That's like saying like you saying, put a dog in the car and the car goes somewhere and you're like, the dog drove the car. Think about that. Whoa. Yeah. I, that sounds like a beautiful world to me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. <laughs> actually, that sounds so good. But the dog was in the passenger seat. He was along for the ride. Was it though? Foldable displays driving the car. Dog just sitting in the car. Yeah. The car here, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is mobile phone sales. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe the dog is driving the car. You just can't see it. How long do you think that Samsung is going to keep pushing Bixby? Like, there's a world in which they're like, nope, we're in it. We really mean it. And, of course, that's a world they tell you that they live in. But truthfully, we know the answer. The answer is they're going to eventually have to, like, give up on it and let it slowly become a weird random setting deep in the heart of the Samsung experience, which, by the way, is what you call TouchWiz now, the Samsung experience. I, um, oh, go ahead. How long, like, like how many years are we going to be in a world where Samsung's like, and it's got Bixby? I think people, companies and like uh, open source projects, because there's open source projects around making like a voice assistant as well. Mm -hmm. There's one like on Kickstarter, like called Mycroft. I think people- Isn't Mycroft the bad guy in Sherlock Holmes? Mycroft is no, Sherlock's No, he's a brother, brother in Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think any of these voice assistants are, are very useful. And until one is truly useful, none of them can be like truly, truly dominant. Does that make sense? I think sense? some of them are very useful. They're just useful in very limited contexts. Well, they, um, I, I, I have this theory that at the point that voice assistants are truly useful, there will also be a interesting open alternative. It might not be the winner, but it will be, it's like once we've solved enough of the voice problems mm -hmm. and so, because if you think of what, what, what was so exciting about a, a personal computer, like, like what was exciting about like a Commodore 64, or like an Apple II, you could write your own software for it. You could create like your own functionality and what has pushed the, the industry forward is people who decided that computers were their own and that they were going to tinker with them, and then they yeah. were going to make their own software. And so, yeah, but like the, that, the thesis not... of the the thesis of the Vergecast is those those beautiful glory days of the web and hackable computers is over, and we're all controlled by wait, corporations wait. now, and it's impossible wait, 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 to build that's... a product without being wait. fully controlled by a corporation. And so, Paul, I think your theory is right, and it will happen the same year that the Linux desktop takes wait, over. Wait, wait, let's start. Whoa, 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 let's, whoa. let's go all the way back to the thesis of the Vergecast. Okay, what? <laughs> wait, the thesis of the Vergecast. Is that if we just talk enough uh -huh. in people's cars, we can uh -huh. save the web. Oh. That was my understanding of what we do here. So, no, the thesis of the Vergecast is, is much, much more closely aligned to the, um, the feeling of being a Vikings fan. You <laughs> want that to be true, but deep in your heart, you know that it's going to fail and that you're going to lose in the playoffs and that some other jerk team with jerk fans is going to get to play in the Super Bowl in your hometown because your team inevitably botches it at the like 11th hour and you don't get to ever have anything good in your life. Okay. I think what we just I'm learned pretty from sure this that's how technology works. Is right Dieter, Dieter has set Firefox to be his default browser. <laughs> <laughs> I said DuckDuckGo would be my default search engine. There you go. Okay, I thought, well, two things. Yeah. I thought the thesis of the Vergecast was boat-related. <laughs> <laughs> so I was way off. But if I really thought about it, uh, my, my personal thesis is that there's certain uh, inevitabilities in in how software evolves. And I, 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 think, uh, I, I think we've talked about this before. I think you get walled gardens because gardens are fragile and you need to tend to them. Uh, and at some point, those walls don't necessarily come down, but the problems inside those walls are solved. And I think, you know, if, if you think, how hopeful were you in the 90s when you had Apple versus Microsoft for the desktop and that was everything? And then Linux mm. came along and it didn't, it didn't take over the desktop but it did take over everything that wasn't the desktop because it was open and it could evolve to fill niches like the server. Open always wins. It, it, I, I, want, I want to say it always wins, but it has, um, it has a lot of upsides that 
the closed things can't capture, like the server, like Android. Yeah. And so I think if, if there's something truly very fundamental and important about voice assistants, if they're not just some sort of massive branding exercise on the part of these large companies, if there's something that they will actually give people that will be truly integral to their lives, then an open alternative will show up and, and push that section of the industry in new so, directions. But here's my question. How open, right? I, I, I agree with you a lot, yeah. actually. I, but I think the thing that we've learned over and over and over again is that the platform vendors cannot predict what their platforms are going to get used for. Mm. And when they try to build their platforms around specific use cases, they back themselves into corners. They inevitably make bad decisions uh-huh. um, and people go elsewhere. So the question of how much freedom do you give developers while still maintaining things like security? Like with voice assistants, like securing those microphones is really important, right? Like that's a big deal. Uh-huh. Um, so how do you maintain security and still provide some amount of openness? I look at just this range that we have right now. Right. And it is so hard to get Siri to do anything other than what Apple wants Siri to yeah. do. Like you have to ship an app for the phone. And that phone, like, that's a big deal. Imagine a world where you, you're you not allowed to change your, your wallpaper on your phone. Mm-hmm. That's this current status of voice assistant. That was, I believe that was the first version of Windows Phone. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> iOS. Also the iPhone. You yeah, couldn't yeah. change your wallpaper on the iPhone forever. Um, um, no, but let I me mean, just, let me, let me just thought. The, okay. the competitor in the market that does make it easy to do weird, crazy, unexpected shit is... Alexa. That's like it, correct. You can just do it. It's chaos. Is that open enough? So yeah. let me give you one specific yeah. example just yeah, yeah, so yeah. we can knock something specific around. Boat related. Okay, good. I take the ferry <laughs> to work. The ferry schedule is online. It's hard to use. The ferry app on the phone is a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our developers, Heather Savetta, her husband uh, made an Alexa skill that just pings the server and tells you when the ferry's going to come. Yeah. It's a private skill. He just emailed it to me. I pushed a button, and now it's on my Alexa. If that had to be an iPhone app, it w- he would have never done it. Right. It's an open skill he's going to submit. It's like a whole thing. By the way, it's, it's great. I love it. Thank you for making that for me. Um, they use it, too. They live in my same neighborhood, but it was nice that they gave it to me. You, that, that is the level of innovation where, like, the small thing leads you to maybe try to build the big thing, but the barrier to entry for the small thing is so low. Whereas so there's the, just no way you could build that for Siri without building a whole app. Yeah. I don't even know how to but begin there's a, doing there's that a, there's for an, Assistant. Mm, there's a whole other thing. You know, we, meant, we brought up security, but there's this other question of is it possible for a decentralized open thing to have the infrastructure and the like, like AI chops to have the basics that enable that sort of small person to make that innovation? Or... It, can you build this new interface that's being created, this intelligent system assistant interface to the internet and to all of computing? Can you build it without being Google, Amazon, Apple, or Microsoft? Can you is like their their core thesis, especially Google's core thesis, is we are so much better at AI than everybody else that we can like we can enable stuff that you like you wouldn't be able to do on your own. The other thing that I'd point out in terms of like some of the stuff like that data is out there, but like there are these big institutional things that might work differently. You, you bring up the boat schedule literally today, sidewalk labs, uh, which is related to Google, like announced a thing that they are creating a grand massive public database of like curb information, what curbs are open and it'll someday work for mass transit schedules and blah, 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 which sounds great because all of these like local transit apps are actually kind of bad. And, but if like, if Google just solved the problem for everybody with a big standard that Google supported and then it plugs into their AI, like that sounds great. And so, but it also is scary because like then Google controls everything. So the, the fundamental question for me isn't, you know, what's the cool open source assistant that, you know, when's that going to come? How's that going to work? It's can it overcome the giant institutional advantages that these big companies have. So, and I, Paul, I think your 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 thing about the '90s is exactly right. We couldn't imagine a world in 1994 where somebody could like create something that would go around 
the power that Microsoft and you know not Apple but Microsoft had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we like it, it was scary and weird. And we didn't we didn't foresee the web. We didn't foresee Linux taking over you know servers in the cloud and phones eventually. So like the thing that I don't know is what are we not foreseeing that will end around these intelligent assistants. Well, I think there's there's two things there. I think Waze is an interesting and also maybe a little bit sad example of it's sort of a ground up w- people want to use their data together to solve a problem, but Google bought yeah. it. And, so and the, the problem is driving your car through like like tiny little sleepy neighborhoods and ruining everybody's like experience in their neighborhood. Anyway, continue. It, to possibly stretch the Linux analogy too far, it was it was one guy against however many million man hours Microsoft put into Windows NT. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. one guy was copying a very successful operating system from the 70s. And I don't think there's an example right now of like, oh, I'll just copy that AI assistant from 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> and use that. Um, but I do think there is a there might be a, a, a one guy trick that can, I don't know. I'm not I like super that we started hopeful, with, but I'm, I want to be hopeful. Like, I like I, you know what? I can, I can sum this up yeah. um, really easily. Is it another uh, Evil always wins and therefore root for the Patriots in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew it. I do like that That's we started with. Evil doesn't always win Linux. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that we started with, is this dog driving a car? <laughs> and we ended up with, does evil always win? <laughs> It's another Vergecast, everybody. We did it again. I'm going to read an ad. This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Simplisafe. Here is some exciting news. Simplisafe is a company that's been around for many years. They transformed into the fastest growing home security company in the nation. Now they protect over 2 million people. And they've just released a brand new home security system, the all-new Simplisafe. System has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards protecting against power outages, downed Wi-Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, and everything in between. If you have an idea of what is between a bat and a hammer on your personal threat scale, let us know. I'm very curious. Anyway, the all-new SimpliSafe redesigned to be practically invisible with a powerful sensor so small you'll never even notice them. But you know who will? Intruders. Because they'll be caught by them and go to prison. SimpliSafe spent years building the system. They've added so much, but you still get the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection for only $15 a month, and there's no contract. It's smaller, faster, and stronger than anything they built before. Supply is limited, so visit SimpliSafe.com slash Verge now to order. That is SimpliSafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash Verge to protect your home and family today. Once again, that is SimpliSafe.com slash Verge. All right, do you want to hear about the weirdest story of the week? Yes. This is, it's not the flamethrower. It's not dogs driving cars. It's something even stranger. It's so strange. This started, what, Sunday night, Dieter? Yes, Sunday night. Yep. Sunday night, Axios, which is an upstart political publication based out of a little town called Washington, D.C. They're actually great. I love Axios. You know, yeah. Freed works there. She's wonderful, great tech reporter. But Axios publishes Scoop. Scoop. The headline literally, the headline is literally scoop, Colin. <laughs> it says scoop. Uh, Trump administration planning to nationalize 5G network. Considers. Consider. Well, they changed the name. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, womp, womp. So they, they, they went out strong. Planning? Went out strong. Planning? Strong. And they had a document. They had a whole document. They had a whole deck. I read this doc. The deck is insane. Also, you have to tilt your head sideways to yeah. read it. <laughs> PDFs are always very complicated. Look, we can build a national 5G network, rotate 90 degrees, way over our heads. The, so there's a whole doc. We got it. We read it. It's nuts. The idea is someone, it's some government agency. Mm-hmm. Is terrified we, we of China. We, National Security Council. Uh-huh. Yep. Is terrified of China. Says China's got a lead on 5G. Right. And because all of the networking equipment manufacturers are Chinese, like Huawei. Right. That we, America, the government should take the spectrum back from the carriers and build our own using equipment that was made in America. <laughs> <laughs> 
which makes no sense. I I just don't understand it. It makes sense. It makes sense in the very very abstract, right? Uh, If you look at I don't know, look at the the way wireless service works in the UK. There's like a general sense that there's like a big centralized network, and then all the carriers like least bandwidth on that network to sell to customers. And since everybody's on the same standard, uh, everyone has the same baseline and it drives prices down and drives innovation. Again, this is a very, very, yeah, that's like very, kind very of how it works. It distant it, 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 kind of like, comparison. One of the but, reasons why this scoop rang true is because at CES, you know, Huawei was, yep. Was gonna have a phone for America but America said no, no Huawei. <laughs> AT and T and Verizon, by the way, turned out. Um, and yeah. then they, and, uh, and, but there, there were rumors that that was the U.S. government's pressure, not. Right. And Vlad wrote a, a great piece about Huawei's CEO stood on stage and basically was like, "We're gonna, we you got to figure this out, guys. Like we're in every other country in the world." Right, just fact. Um, so, but that's it. Rang true, right? The Trump administration, particularly aggressive towards China, mm. China. Mm. It, well, it this, wa- this Huawei stuff that, was going on. It did not a, ring true insofar as the ago. idea that the Trump administration would nationalize anything ever. Right. right. So that like part seems no, very confusing. No, but no, you're but right. The, so network infrastructure in the United States, informally, the government suggests that our carriers should not buy Huawei equipment. Right. That, that's yep. been going on for a couple of years. So the question, this is where, the, the, this is where it truly falls apart. There are already 5G networks up and running in this country built on equipment from Ericsson and Siemens and Nokia. Mm. Verizon's got one. AT&T's got one. Verizon, a whole page of partners. Like, if you would like that to happen, maybe, you know, corporate tax breaks. You know what the Trump administration likes better than nationalizing industry? Corporate tax breaks. Like, give them a tax break for building equipment in, you know, America. You could just do it. But you know what you don't have to do in that case? That requires accountants, of which the government employs many. It does not require, for example, network hardware design engineers. Yeah. Like, that's the, the, tough, the, the tough part. The problem and the solution seem very different. So then I tweeted, like, this seems like nonsense. And people are cheating back. Like, they want to build a network end to end so they can spy on everybody. And I was like, oh, they can already do that. They just have to ask. <laughs> And they're like, no, they yeah. control it. They could like wear a headset and listen. I'm like, no, they, that was they already do that. Definitely something that popped into my head. Yeah, they, they just, could do it. Like, like the, <laughs> I liked imagining. Here's how I imagined it: the NSA is like, it's not fair. Every time we want to spy on people, we have to intercept their wireless routers in the mail and then hack into them to install our spy stuff. It's too hard. We want an easy spy. No, but they did that too. Do you remember the HP Carly Fiorina like, like slid them, like let them into the facility? Yeah. AT and T built them a facility. Yeah. Just, it's just like it's already happening. It's, why? It's why do you want to run a customer support it. number? The it. NSA is like, what we need is to build a consumer service. We're gonna have to spin up a Twitter account called okay. NSA Cares. Okay. Okay. And when your wireless <laughs> goes down, people can tweet at us. New question: Which voice assistant? <laughs> It's totally in the NSA's pocket. Anyway, so this happens on Sunday night. It's fucking Bixby. Are you kidding? They'll do anything. (laughs) (laughs) So this happens on Sunday night. Everyone starts swarming it. Uh, Tony Rahm at Recode, who is an absolutely excellent policy reporter, uh, next day publishes, Trump administration wants nothing to do with this. He talks to sources. Ajit Pai, our man at the FCC, is like, Uh no, don't do that. The other commissioners of the FCC are like, no, we're not doing that. Democrats and Republicans alike. It's something we so, all can agree on. Something like literally. This could be the unifying issue of our Ajit time. Ajit and I on the same page <laughs> on this one. Probably not a good idea to nationalize 5G. Can, can I ask it more like abstract question? Yeah. What, what would be – oh, and there's also a little technical hurdle where you can't really build a – 5G network right now without having oh, a 4G network. Yeah, that's a huge right. hurdle. <laughs> that's a oh, there's also just a random graph at the end of the document that's like, we're also losing the AI race and this will help. It's like, what are you talking <laughs> What Chardonnay fueled adventure have you gone on here, man? Okay. okay. What? Wait, why is it Chardonnay? I just imagine NSA. Mm, it's Chardonnay, it's Chardonnay. Gina, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what we have in the house. So, what? A lot of people are, are are pretty interested in um like municipal internet service, yeah. right? Sure. 
What what would you say is the philosophical difference between uh, a 5G infrastructure theoretically and implausibly built by the federal government and uh, like a, a, a municipality saying we'll build and own a fiber network? I have an answer for this. I, so do I, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, okay, so my – so every time we argue about net neutrality, which we do a lot. Sure. Welcome to the Vergecast. My issue – is that consumers are not well served because of monopoly like conditions okay. and they don't have because they don't have market recourse in the form of comp- competitors that they can't get better products and services so a municipal system there is recourse for the customer of that because you could vote the bastards out mm. right so if your mayor decides he's going to build municipal wi-fi or she's going to build municipal wi-fi and they blow it well you could vote your federal bastards out too yeah, but like I would much rather have competition, right? And most right. of the municipal services are proposed not as like replacements for a free market. They're right. proposed as a public baseline right. system. And this proposal is flying to in the face 5G. of 5G. So like yeah. my, my position market. is markets need competitors right. and competition serves consumers well. Okay. And regulation should be in service of providing – good market conditions for competition, mm-hmm. which and if you absent competition, which is where we are, net neutrality, for example, right. we should provide consumer protection. But like I would rather me, have competition than yeah. consumer protection. If you build municipal broadband, you're digging wires down, you know, Main Street and, you know, Jefferson Avenue and whatever. Um, this would be a national... Uh, it's a national resource. It, it's the, it's literally the spectrum. It's the like where you're allowed, what radio waves you're allowed to push out into the air across the whole country, yeah. uh, and having that be different from like municipality local areas causes huge problems because everybody has to have different equipment. It would never work, and your phone in Tulsa wouldn't work in New York. Blah blah blah. So it makes sense to have a national standard for what spectrum and what types of radio waves get to be used for what. And so if you but if you nationalize that. Um, I mean, again, like go, go full socialist in theory, I'm okay with it in practice. They just, I don't, I don't think they'd be good at it. Right? Yeah. I think if our country was much, yeah, <laughs> like our carriers who are profit making enterprises, not great at running wireless networks all the time. Right. Um, if our country is like way smaller. Yeah, sure. Right. Like the, the problem set mm-hmm. becomes smaller. It's more like local. I, but I, it's I, like a really big country. I hate both things. Which one do you want? Pure free free market. But then that inevitably is monopoly, and then you don't have a market at all. No. Yes, markets. Also, if you like pure free market, why not let the municipality build a broadband network? That's a, they're just they're just another because another player they, in the game because they have co- they have course of power. Sure, but they I'm could, saying they could, markets they could say tend to it's monopoly. A, it's illegal to do this or that. But they but have, straight up. Market, they just they will because then you capture a hundred percent of the customer base and you're fine. You don't have to spend money making new products. Just horse and buggies for days. It's weird we don't have horse and buggies. How'd that happen? I guess there was a law. I made horses <laughs> illegal, Paul. <laughs> don't you remember the Patel Act of eighteen seventy five? No, you're right. There's other disruptive competitors, but markets. To consult. If if you would, if the government would allow AT and T and Verizon to merge, they would do it tomorrow. And they should. That would be insanity. It'd be so much fun. <laughs> it would be crazy, but they would. Yeah. Right, because then they would just own almost all the customers in America. They wouldn't own them. Where are they going to go? You going to Sprint? You going to try Google Fi Life like Dieter? Where are you going to go? I, with- I'm a Verizon customer and a Fi <laughs> customer. Thank you very much. Yeah, I just all I'm saying is my central contention mm. is there should be competition. Absent competition, you should have some other remedy. I think the central thing is freedom of action, freedom to use your property how you want to use your property. But it's not your property. It's the public's property. Often it is the public's property. The public is granting you the right of way. The air, the airwaves of of America are the public's property. They are leased. Because they just won't sell them. But then, but they're right because they're a public Home, resource. The Homestead Act of oh 2018. Look, when I by, made horses illegal, Paul uh, J. Car- Miller, Elon Musk owes this to me because otherwise he'd be riding an electric horse to space. I don't know what that means. <laughs> right, I'm reading. It. I'm reading another ad. <laughs> 
This episode of VergeCast is brought to you by Mattress Firm. Mm. You guys must be buying a lot of mattresses because they're back. Mattress Firm has one question for all of the I'm going to listen to podcasts to help me fall asleep people. Are you struggling to get some shut-eye? Because you answered yes, you're in luck. There's a great tip for how you can zonk out more easily. Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store, lets your budget stretch farther when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They're more than mattress experts. They got the whole package. It helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you covered, literally and figuratively. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now as I read the sentence to you. There's even a 120-night sleep trial ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know that you paid the perfect price. Again, go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how your sleeping could be monumentally improved. If you're still awake, the show's going to happen again with a little segment Paul does every week called... Not my editor's choice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Fire. <laughs> All right. This this week, as is his right, Vlad wrote a review <laughs> wow. about a mouse Freedom thing of action, that Paul. he loves called the Rocket Cone Pure. Cone yeah. spelled with a K. It's a mouse for right-handed people. He loves good, his mouse. Good for them. He loves his mouse. Yeah. You know what this mouse is? Way cheaper than the mouse that I recommend people buy. Yeah. But it's also for right-handed people. Ooh. It's also not wireless. It also doesn't do the cool uh, unlockable scroll wheel thing that the G900, which I re- recommend, does. The only reason I ever unlock that scroll wheel is to fidget with it. <sighs> I love it. Just spinning away. I love it. I love it so much. Anyways, get this mouse, I guess. I'm sure it's great. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Vlad's editor's choice. And i and I just like to point out that there are editors at The Verge, not just me, who disagree. You're saying G900X or GX900. Uh, the, the Logitech G900. I think there's a newer, like the G910 or something. That's okay. slightly. That's my favorite. Yeah. It's a pretty heavy mouse. GX9. Um, there's a lot of G mice that a lot of people are really into. X90G. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, really, tro- I'm just trolling. Eli, this you. is really serious. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So just I'm just letting people know that there's a diversity of opinion. Yeah. So, but the, all the other ones are really expensive. Vlad's whole point was like, this is a cheap, good mouse. It's a great deal. With good clicks. It's a steal of a deal. Yeah. Are you a wireless gaming mouse person? I lost my wireless dongle. <laughs> I own a wireless mouse. <laughs> and it is always plugged in. Hmm. Someday, I heard that you can buy replacement wireless dongles from Logitech. I, I might take them up on that offer. I do, I do love the mouse. Dongles, man. Um, I sat, I was in San Francisco, I came back. I sat next to a guy on the plane, and he has Bluetooth headphones with his iPhone. And, you know, the seat back slid up. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, Wonder Woman's on. And he went to like, listen, and then he just, just sat there, <laughs> just looking yeah. at that screen, looking at his AirPods. Didn't know what to do. <laughs> really? Yeah. He just it was just stuck? Well, I mean, he was like, oh, I can't use my headphones. And then he had to, like, ask for headphones so he could watch the movie. Yeah, I I used to always be confused when, like, the, you know, the the flight attendant would come by and, like, offer people headphones. I'm like, who doesn't have headphones? But now it's, like, it's a real thing that people need because they all have wireless headphones and they don't have the headphones that actually work with the airplane anymore. Well, you know what's great? I mean, like, the big bows over the ear ones have an aux end jack, so you carry your aux cord with you. But also my wireless mouse, ha- it, it charges it has micro USB. Yeah, by USB. So you plug, you take, the, you unplug that USB, plug the wireless dongle. Now you have a wireless mouse. But you, if you want to charge your mouse, you plug the the USB cable straight into the mouse. But it, it's still a usable mouse. Apple. Yeah, it's incredible, right? <laughs> it's Who weird. Yeah. You can yeah. charge, use your mouse simultaneously. <laughs> Uh, so to be fair, the um, the Bluetooth uh, touchpad that Apple makes does that. The Magic touchpad. Yeah. It it has the jack on the back, and you plug it in, and it turns into a USB touchpad, and then right. you unplug it, and it's Bluetooth. So this is why I now travel. But, so I used to have those Bose headphones. But Dieter, you have QC25s, right? 35s? 35s, yeah. Yeah, 35s. Um, <sighs> but that cable is 3.5 to 2.5, so if you ever lose it, you are screwed. I bought three. You could no. You could. I bought three extras because I lost mine. So now but I have I a bunch of extras. Switch to the Sony MDX one thousand, whatever the new ones are. The three, yeah, three point five in. So now it's like 
much smarter. Hmm. They are. Uh, they sound much better. Because you've than got the so many 3.5 to 3.5 cables sitting around. I do. I at least live that ox life. All right. I don't know. I just have a lot of them for some reason. Um, Neil's pointing at me. I don't know what's going to no, happen next. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> Paul. Your, no. time, your time has come. I just feel like, <laughs> no, uh, the, the Sony ones are real nice. They sound way better than the Bose ones. They are yeah. super heavy and super hot. Oh, they're hot? Uh, yeah. Everyone's like, making fun of me for not buying them and sticking with my QC35. Can I ask it? Yeah. So I'm just going to ask the Vergecast listeners a really gross questions. When you wear big, heavy over the here, it's a long plane ride. Dieter, you take that plane ride way more than I from yeah. San Francisco to New York. It's like a long mm-hmm. trip. It's like six hours. Mm-hmm. So when you wear the headphones for that long, there's like a lot of heat that builds up. And it just like my ears start to feel a little swampy. Like the earwax in my ears like melts. It's like fucking gross. <laughs> it's like I don't know. It's like I don't know if that's what's actually happening. You know, sometimes like you feel a feeling and you're like, I think I know what's happening, but I'm not a doctor, but I think I know the science behind this. You're like that's what it feels like, like. Dribbling out, it's like melting no, out it's of not your ear. Like, no, it's not like a like a candle. It just it feels gross. <laughs> okay, well, what's just the saying, question part of this? Is Dieter does that, does that happen to anyone else? You're Am asking the Vergecast listeners. Who, who is who is about big this. headphones? <laughs> I'm just saying. Like it's just like an experience. Every time I take this flight, I'm like, man, these headphones, it's kind of icky. So that's it. Just fe- it's just warm. Like you don't yeah, often I- seal your ears for six hours like that. I didn't mean to take us down this road. Hmm. You just, I really wish you hadn't. <laughs> no, I think I think your ears are giving off a little more heat than is is common. My problem with over the ear. <laughs> my problem with over the ear headphones is that they push on my ears, and my ears are sensitive and fragile. But uh, yeah, my problem hot. is uh, they get uncom- They are way more uncomfortable when I wear glasses than yeah. uh, if I wear contacts. And I, I always wear glasses on the plane because they're super dry. And so wearing contacts on a plane, it's just nah. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, I wear contacts on my back. Uh, and I played Zelda on the Switch for four hours. And then I realized, like, oh, I've been paying attention to this. My contacts are glued to my eyes for the rest of eternity. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, Zelda on the yep. Switch is the best thing to do on a plane. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm like you, drawing you a, a crowd. We ta- huh? We should talk about Nintendo for a little bit because they, they had their weird earnings call and they've announced a bunch of stuff, some of which was kind of surprising. Um, but I'm really curious to hear about Neil buying a Switch because I have been telling you to buy a Switch since it came out and you have refused to yeah. recognize the genius of my recommendation. It's Please tell the world how smart I am. Dieter is very smart. There it is. I don't trust but a how, man whose ears don't get swampy on planes. But how smart? <laughs> uh, very smart. The Switch is an incredible product. Uh, it's weird, though, because I'm only playing one game. And I'm right. very curious how my relationship w- w- will change when like, I'm out of Zelda, which seems impossible to achieve. But right now, it's this like, Zelda machine. And then it's going to change, right? And I play it. I have all the docks. i got big TVs, all the stuff. It's fun. 99% of the time I use it as a handheld. Yep. What about Mario Kart with uh, friends? I haven't done that yet. It's a great party game. Mostly on planes. That's great. They and need a, pretty soon you're going to be able to play Mario Kart a thing on your where, You know how they have the, the flight attendant call button? They need a button that's mm-hmm. like, I have a Switch. Ooh, and what does, that, what does that get you? Switch switch and you can, then you can like have friends. You can like play games mm-hmm. with them. Uh, have, you, have you played Mario where one person's Mario and one person's the hat? Yes, I've done that. That's that is that's pretty good. That's um, bonding. No, uh, but I, the Switch as a piece of hardware is like just truly remarkable. Um, and it's just like it's just really good at being the thing that it is. Yep. I think. But, it, but the thing it is for me though is a screen that plays Zelda. Like I haven't. It you know like game consoles like change you. Your relationship to them changes because you're in the world of a game and then you play a different game. I don't know. Hmm. Does that make any sense? No. Say that one. No, one it makes perfect time. sense. So, like, right now, this whole thing, the right. whole Switch experience for me is Zelda, which I love. And this like is deep good because it's Zelda. Yeah. This then, is the best Zelda hardware I own. Yeah. And then I'm going to play a different game. And it and might change what gonna, it means to you. Yeah, the whole, my relationship with the device. And, like, right, right now when I sit down to play it, like, I want to give it an hour. I want to spend at least an hour running around that forest. What if, what if, what if Nintendo Call of Duty'd Zelda? Would like it just be horrible? Links. Or like Assassin's Creed. You know what I mean? Just like w- every year, 
every year a new Zelda. I don't know. Man. I would love that, and then I would hate it. It would get like, really that's bad, right? The answer. I mean, the 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 answer to your question uh, is Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask is a lovely underrated game mm-hmm. that uh, they just kind of cranked out. Yeah, I mean, this game is Breath of the Wild. I mean, people have talked about it endlessly. I don't need to recapitulate this, but I mean, it, it's just such a deep game. It's like five thousand games in one. Mm. So, like, I, I, if as, as a thing to do on a plane, mm-hmm. right? Like, you you can just like waste time. Yeah, like yeah. In a different space, I will say, super annoying. The Switch doesn't support Bluetooth headphones. What are yeah. they doing? Like, they got to know, right? Like. I'm like fumbling with the aux cable. What like if I, I'm gonna I, live in that world, just let me just force me into that world. Yeah. Well, the, Nintendo's not part of that world. <laughs> it's true. What are you saying, Dieter? Oh, we, we should actually bring up that they um, are releasing Mario Kart on smartphones in the next year. Yeah, but isn't Some this kind their of Mario plan? Kart game? Right, it's like slice off bits and pieces of their IP and like make a couple bucks on the phone. But Mario Kart yeah. for a phone would be way different than like what they've done so far. I think. Yeah, they, they they basically made like they made an infinite runner game, and they did a pretty good job differentiating it as an infinite runner game. But they have admitted they're not making that much money on Mario Run or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just there's such a deep well of love for Mario Kart as a like gamers game that uh, it's almost risky. Like they best not screw it up. The other thing that they're doing is they're making a movie. With the <laughs> the company that made uh, a Despicable Me, aka the Minions, is that uh, Imagine? Yeah, and isn't, isn't I don't know, man. Imagination. I, I'm old enough to remember the original Super Mario Brothers with um, John Leguizamo and uh, and what's his name, Bob something. And I just I, I I have no faith that that movie is not going to just ruin things for me. Um, in the same way, like. I'm super nervous about this Tomb Raider movie that's coming up because I love, love, love the Tomb Raider Tomb Raider game reboot. I think it's one of the best reboots of an old video game franchise I've ever played in my entire life. And, man, I hope that movie is not terrible. I'm not actually that optimistic based on the previews. Wait, what? hold on. I just want to... Go ahead. So it's not Imagination. Mm-hmm. It's Illumination. Okay. Illumination. And when you, when you start to type in Minions Illumination, mm. Google just autocorrects it to Minions Illuminati. <laughs> Which seems <laughs> very confusing. <laughs> uh, what makes a lot of sense? Yeah, I think we have to point. I don't. Do we have to do? I'm just going to say this disclosure: the Minions are Universal, which is owned by NBC, which no is way. the investor in Box. No way, we got oh some Minion money. Are you kidding me? It's a whole fact. There it is. There's your disclosure. I don't know. I don't know if we needed it for that one. If anytime anyone brings up the Minions, I want to be like, eh, "There's some Minion dollars floating around the bank." <laughs> Damn, that's wow. so good to know. Yeah, how did how could a uh, let's say the the Mario movie is as bad as anything possible? By the way, my roommate believes that the original Mario movie is one of the best cyberpunk visions yeah. ever ever made on screen. It's not the worst, but let's say this is just a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. What is that? How does it hurt Mario for you? Because. You'll be playing Mario and having a good time, and like the he'll make his little woohoo thing when he jumps, and then in the back of your mind you'll think about some moment in the Mario movie when he does the same thing, but it sucks, oh. and it's just gonna color it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I feel so. like Nintendo they they've got a big hit with the Switch. Outsold the Wii mm-hmm. U already. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Megan wrote a piece uh, based on GC, like um, the GDC surveys are out. Developers are super into the Switch. Just, just a lot of interest and in, in like heat around that because it, as you're saying, it's like a great piece of hardware. It's really accessible. People are really into it. Um, if you ask Casey Newton, he's like, "What's their next thing? Like, they need to have these franchises over and over again." So, like, the question is, is Nintendo just this set of X games that they're gonna like bite off a piece of Mario Kart and like throw it on a phone? Like, or are they gonna do they have more? And I think that's an interesting question. Hmm. I don't. I have no idea what the answer is. Well, they don't need to do anything right now. Yeah, they're just selling switches. All right, should we talk about Apple for two minutes and wrap up the show? Yes. There's only one story about Apple, which is earlier this week it was leaked that Craig Federighi um, went to a meeting mm-hmm. and said, we're taking features out of iOS 12 and we're buttoning up 
or software quality. What? Yeah. To, uh, does Craig listen to the French? <laughs> I think he does. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, this is very exciting. It's also like it's a thing that Apple does, uh, especially on uh, the Mac OS every other year or so. They're like, this is the year where we sort of clean things up. And there's a, yeah. a huge number of under the hood things and blah, blah, blah. But like in terms of apps and stuff, what we're really doing is mostly bug fixes. But, uh, the big, the most famous one I think was Lion to Mountain Lion. They're like, yeah, it's just it's just another lion, but it's like a slightly and the leopard, no, the snow leopard. No, no, they did snow, it. leopard is snow leopard. It was leopard to snow, snow leopard. leopard That's what I'm thinking the of. greatest software release in Apple's history, <laughs> without really? question. The right. year of snow leopard on my black MacBook, black plastic MacBook, yeah. the best yeah. year of computing of my life. What hmm. one thing that I want Apple to focus on? You know, Swift is very exciting, and developers are really into it. Every time I go. It's like we're on Swift 4 now, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, it's been, like, about four years that Swift has been out, I think. Every time I'm like, well, now it's a good time to learn how to make an iOS app, you always end up running into Objective-C. Like, Apple has a huge code base that is half a deprecated language that nobody's learning anymore and half a new exciting language. And, like... I was just watching a talk of this program. I was like, well, I made this thing. It's really fast. Then it has to call out to um, uh, Apple, Apple stuff. And then there's some weird Objective-C that has to translate everything into something that Swift understands. And it's just like that's still at the core of a lot of Apple software. I, I, that, that's what I'm putting a lot of the blame on. So I hope that they can like clean that up and make a more. But I think it's bigger than that. It's bigger than like user experience. It's bigger than like, for example, earlier this week, um, CNN sent out a push alert in Apple News that's like, the person who sent the fake Hawaii missile test drill had like it was like the story was like that person had a history of making mistakes before. Uh, CNN yeah. sends out the push alert. Apple News was broken, and, and so, so the push it sent the alert, alert like, like 10,000 times. times. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so people are like, CNN, stop alerting us. And CNN put out a statement that's like, our servers indicate that we sent this alert once. Right. The problem is on Apple's end. Well, on the, yeah, that's the thing. It's like how can you – even if, if developers are using Apple tools to make software that isn't at the highest of quality, if Apple can't make highest quality software with the tools that it provides people, yeah. then who can I don't know. Evil always wins, Paul. Bixby. Yeah, I mean, the, the, Bixby the drives the car. <laughs> Bixby drives the car. Uh, notifications on iOS 12 are going to continue to be hot garbage. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Like, I'm all for Apple taking – I think the phone is already so complicated. I think what they really need to do is not just, like, fix bugs. They need to, just, like, take a minute and just clean up the weird user experience flows that are all over the iPhone. Yeah. Like, yeah. HomeKit. Like, take a year – Everyone just work on HomeKit. Like, just mm. make it easier to understand what is happening in HomeKit. No normal human being can operate HomeKit. Yeah. Like, it is to, it is conceptually complicated. Yeah. Right? Now, it's not complicated to set up and use. It's complicated in that to understand what it's doing requires an enormous amount of sophistication. So they've achieved this simplicity of, like, I bought a light plug and a panel showed up on my phone. That's simple. The second you want to try to understand the relationship between your phone and the light bulb, everything f goes to hell. Right? Like, now you have an iPad in your house that's, like, Bluetooth connected and it's the hub. Like, or you have an Apple TV, presumably the HomePod forthcoming. Well, but those devices aren't, like... HomeKit lives in like a meadow layer. That's like it's just a very complicated idea. Here, here's the thing: not everything in life is simple. And if our devices teach us that everything that can be done is simple, then you never learn how to use like Excel spreadsheets. Excel, Excel spreadsheets are approachable and they're possible to use, but they're difficult. Yeah. And a lot of people but, think it's a really great abstraction for how you want to deal with data. But it still requires some learning. And if users learn that I never have to do any learning, 
Like so, I think I have a whole. You can make mm-hmm. things simpler, but you also have right. to teach people that they have to learn something. All I'm saying is that the user right. flows mm-hmm. on the iPhone are they're trapped in that tension, and they often shade towards just masking complexity instead of making things simple. Mm-hmm. And like, if you just mask the complexity when you need it, right? It's not available. To you, you don't have the power. What's right. do, yeah? Do you, you the, said you have the, a whole thing. I've got a whole thing. Um, uh, this was. An old rant, it was born out of uh, this piece Dan wrote that everybody should just start using these gestures. And there's this whole idea that, no, gestures are hard for people to learn. Um, and the every user interface is unintuitive at first. And so the, the problem with the iPhone isn't that it's not simple enough. Simplicity is actually not a problem. We are humans, and we can learn how to learn we can learn abstractions and then build knowledge based on those abstractions like writing is the most unintuitive thing walking is not intuitive for a child they have to figure it out <laughs> and so i'm not necessarily looking for the iphone to get quote unquote simpler i'm looking for it to get more coherent and consistent we are like we we learned how to use apple twos we learned how to use command lines Grandma's learned how to use Windows 95, right? We are actually way more capable of figuring out new interface paradigms and uh, companies give us credit for. And it is a mistake to assume that everything has to just be simple and direct and one layer deep. The actual thing you need to do is be consistent and coherent so that when I, you know, do a, do an action in one place, I learn something and then I can yeah. repeat that action in another place. Yeah, you, and that you, is the fundamental problem with the iPhone right now and, and with a lot of operating systems right now is skills and abstractions that you learn in one context don't translate to another context. And that was what, one of the reasons the original iPhone was so good is you learned three or four basic things and then you just applied them everywhere. And yeah. that is going away right now on the iPhone and it's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah. you, you should be able to learn like a vocabulary right, and right. then exercise that vocabulary. Right. right now, I'm just 3D touching everything, and I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> right? And where it's exciting. You want something that you know there is a setting for. Where is that setting? Yeah. Is yeah. it in the app? Yeah. Is it in settings, or is it in settings slash apps? Yeah. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> um, my greatest. I just, I I'm thinking about HomeKit a lot lately. Mm. My greatest fear is that I will accidentally unlock my door. It's <laughs> your like, greatest fear. If you just it's like, not get snakes. it wrong, it's like it's not dogs driving cars, huh? Your greatest fear isn't dogs driving cars or snakes or whatever. It's you're gonna unlock your door. Where did snakes come from? Oh, I see. I just know. in general, I feel yeah. like dogs driving on the list of fears. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Okay. List of fears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you already said what your the greatest very top fear is. is no, I will the very top unlock is, my door. Okay, so that's clowns. number one. No, my, it's my greatest fear in the world of HomeKit. Oh, okay. it's oh. not like my lights will no, turn. No, it's still purple. clowns. It's just like I'm gonna unlock the door and forget about it. And my door's unlocked. Like, that's like is the one. That's the fear? thing that you don't want to do oh. inside of HomeKit. You can come it's up with like, way darker scenarios in HomeKit. You could definitely come up with way darker scenarios. In well, I mean, there's the there's the one that just like fires the rifle mounted above the door. Like we don't want to push that button either. That's like a very famous law school towards case. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like you learn it as a 1L. Like this dude set up a gun in his barn and yeah. the intruder came and like, the gun shot the guy. Who's it's a booby trap. And he's like, yeah, you can't – you have to take reasonable measures. It's a whole thing. Who's liable? The dude, the homeowner is liable. Not the gun. Not the gun. They did not sue the gun. <laughs> um, there's like a whole thing. Okay, so in the world of HomeKit, that's the greatest fear. Okay, uh, snakes, not a huge fan. Yeah. I feel like dog. All I'm trying to get to is dogs driving cars. Very low on my list of fears. That's more mm. on my list of hopes. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Like you want to get there. This yeah. is dogs off are the happy, rails. and they love like, humans. They don't want to hurt humans for the most part. And so oh. having them drive cars is actually a really good idea because dogs inherently want to protect. I just want to. So. Here's what I want to do. Guys, right now. I solved the trolley problem. <laughs> it's dogs. <laughs> yeah, you put dogs who love humans as Dieter just put it out. In a little control room, every time a self-driving car has a trolley problem, it beams it up to command center. You know, dogs with little doggy headsets on, like in NASA. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. And they got two buttons. No, no, no. It's a great push, idea. they push the button and with I their paws. And I think what it has conclusively they like, they demonstrated the to me. They push the button with their paws. This episode of The Verge Cast is over. <laughs> dogs <laughs> solve trolley we're, problems. We're a little over an hour. 
Paul's, Paul's fully in a world of dogs in a control center. Think about those good boys. We're done. That was the Vergecast for this the week. Headsets. There was not a lot of news, and I apologize for everything that happened here. Like, if you just put the three of us in a room with no news, we end up at dogs in space. No. No. So that was that week. We're going to try this again next week. Maybe we're going to do a better job. Please make some news. Have you seen if, Apollo 13? If you work at Microsoft or Google or Apple or Amazon or Facebook, think about making some news next week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. We would really like that. Dell, you probably have some laptops to put out. Just give us a call. Let us know. We really need you here, buddy. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was truly a ride. Uh, thank you for listening. We've got all kinds of stuff happening. Next week, actually, Circuit Breaker Live is coming back. Whoa. Tuesday, 4 p.m. We're moving the show to YouTube. I'm going to do something very dumb, and I'm going to keep the YouTube chat open on our iMac Surface Hybrid Whoa. so you can talk to us during the show, which we... You could have tweeted us, but now it's, like, live. That's exciting. I don't know if this is going to be a good idea. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to try it. Please behave yourselves. Yeah. I retain all ban privileges across all platforms. I'll ban your ass. But what I'd like you to do is be cool, and then I will talk to you. Two choices. I'll talk to you, or I'll ban you. Yeah. Live in, live in the good bubble. That's the phrase. So, Circuit Breaker Live, 4 p.m. Tuesday. 4 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on YouTube, so if you miss it, you just watch it. I encourage you to watch it on your TV because I think that's like a good place for it. Um, yeah. Why'd you push that button? Season two is happening. And I know Andrew, oh. our producer, is working on that with Ashley and Caitlin, but you can listen to all of season one right now on your podcast app of choice. So go listen to that. Casey Newton's show converged. Coming. It's co I swear to God, it's coming. It's happening. But if you don't just want to like, think about hopes and dreams, you can listen to Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good. That's a great show. You can listen to Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. You can listen to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. All wonderful. All on the iTunes and everything else. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Ring that bell, fam. Hmm. I'm trying to see YouTube. I'm going on YouTube. I got to try some YouTube <laughs> stuff. YouTube, Eli. <laughs> Very exciting. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. So tons of stuff to listen to. The site is doing great, by the way. Speaking of The Verge, um, there's, I want to call it a story. Uh, Russell Brandom, uh, huge scoop. Um, ICE. Immigrations agency struck a deal to track license plates all around the country. You should read that story. Russell got the scoop. He got way into it. Just great work all over. The whole site's been great lately. Just growing like a weed. We love it. But listen to the podcast, Circuit Breaker Live, Tuesday at 4. I'm super excited about it. It's going to be fun. Check it out. And that is the Vergecast. Paul. There's good radio right here. Hmm? Nothing. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. You're going to cut all this, this. out. <laughs>